Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winston, and joining me on the line, it's a very injured Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Well, I'm exactly that. I'm laid up at the moment with a full leg cut, uh, um, splint on and awaiting, awaiting some fairly major surgery tomorrow. Don't tell me your basketball career is in jeopardy, Caddy. I'd be destroyed if that's the case. Well, you know, we spoke one of the earlier pods and I was um, waxing lyrical about uh, my Giannis-like performance, performance? In, a, in a grand final and, um, yeah, to now be uh, basically rolled off the court the other night and <laughs> I think that'll be the swan song, one would think. Uh, that's a, just a disastrous way to go out, mate. I'm sure all the Power and the Key listeners uh, wish you the very best in your recovery process. Yes, now uh, I don't think I'll get over bombarded with too many uh, tweets from our loyal followers, but um, don't yeah, underestimate well. the, uh, the, <laughs> the 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 pulling power of the power and the key listeners, Caddy. Don't do that. No, okay. No, well, um, look, you know, we'll get get uh, get their operation done tomorrow and get into some recovery and plenty of time to uh, dig my teeth into summer league over the next uh, week or so. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> well, seriously, mate, I wish you all the best with the recovery process and. Uh, um, some people that will be probably recovering this morning with some pretty sore heads are the are the Australian Boomers, Caddy. Bloody final, we've done it. We, we've we've broken the uh, broken the maiden and got that much deserved medal. And that wasn't the colour that obviously we would have liked, but uh, we'll be we'll take the bronze medal, Caddy, after a lot of hard work. And it was Australia yesterday with a one hundred and seven ninety three victory over Slovenia, just powered by Paddy Mills, forty two points and nine assists, in just an incredible game by him. How were you during the game, Caddy? How were the nerves? How did you see it unfold? Yeah, it was obviously um, the anxiety leading into the game. It, it, it clearly felt like it was um, the time for the Boomers to to deliver on that stage. And, you know, I think it would have been a surprise had they have lost it. And, you know, there would have been plenty of, um, I suppose, uh, pointed fingers and, and talk about what had gone wrong. But thankfully for the guys that went out there and, and played, they certainly played at a really high level and, and delivered you know, what was obviously, you know, as you mentioned, a bronze medal, but I think it didn't matter in the end, clearly, when, when you saw the players so excited and, and happy after the after the win. Any medal was, was clearly a huge accomplishment. And I was actually having a chat, not not specifically about, you know, the boomers, but even just the, the difference between winning a bronze medal in these team sports versus losing a game to effectively win a silver medal. I think it's, um, you know, yeah, look at the way the, the, the hockey players, you know, obviously so much despair and, Sadness in, in losing to win a silver medal, but then obviously the penalty the shootout probably added to that despair. You'd reckon? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, to see these boomers and the elation they had winning that game and, and winning a bronze medal was was awesome. And yeah, clearly a huge accomplishment and, and very exciting. And and you know years and years and of hard work and toil over you know a number of generations to to get to this point. And it was really a celebration for everyone involved in in basketball throughout the country that you know these this men's team clearly hadn't been able to deliver well. You know, the women have had plenty of success in the past. It was the men's turn to, to finally get their, their medal on the big stage and they couldn't have been any more deserving. Oh, no, no doubt about that. So let's sink our teeth a little bit into the game. So I mentioned the fact that Paddy Mills, absolutely incredibly, played 37, almost 38 minutes out of a possible 40 minutes, 42 points, nine assists. He took 15 of 31 from the field. So it looked to me, obviously watching the game, that Paddy Mills had in his head, we're going... This game is going to be on my shoulders. If we if we lose, it's because I've had a bad game. If we win, it's obviously because I've come to the party. So for me, early on, in the first half, I, I thought he was taking some pretty ordinary shots. Now, you, when you look at the fact that he shot 15 from 31, you can't argue about that too much. But that that's about as – and I've spoken last week about how aggressive Paddy Mills is when he pulls on a boomer's jersey. But that's about as aggressive as I've, as I've ever seen Paddy Mills. Yeah, no doubt. I think you, you hit it on the head there. He was going to either go down – you know, with with him, you know, basically taking those shots, or he was going to be the hero. And I, I think at times it looked a little bit ambitious. Some of the shots that not only he was taking, but some of the other boomers as well, they looked to be you know getting three point shots off early in the shot clock rather than sort of running their normal um, plays around the perimeter and trying to get the ball into as many hands as possible. But so they kind of went away from that in a sense. But as you said, you know, they were determined to go head to head with Slovenia. In this case, they obviously identified some defensive weaknesses. Primarily with Luka Doncic, he was yeah, they picked on him the, a lot, didn't they? They got him yeah, in the pick and roll and isolated him and went to work. That's right. So he looked like he was carrying a wrist injury, but um, you know, Paddy Mills was awesome and you know really ably supported. He's done it the, in the USA game as well as uh, this one of Slovenia. Joe Ingles started the game, you know, being really aggressive in the USA game. It was from outside the arc. This one, he went to inside and 
had a couple of layups early in the piece, but then, you know, really importantly hit some big shots in that last quarter off a couple of Paddy Mills assists as well, um, where he was he found himself open in the corner and, you know, he was confident enough to, to take his opportunities and, and hit those really important shots. So, um, you know, really helped deliver the, the final nail into the Slovenia coffin and, I think, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Matisse Thibault and Dante Exxon shortly, but I think, you know, clearly Paddy Mills and Joe Ingles were the, were the key pillars of this team over not just this year, but many campaigns. And um, it was just sensational to see them both, you know, really clearly deliver um, when it counted. Yeah, and, and, and especially for Ingles, because we've spoken in the past about how he's probably shrunk a little bit in the moment when Australia have really needed him. So you're right there for him to produce. You mentioned the fact that he went inside earlier, and I thought... I thought, and you mentioned the fact that Australia fell in love a little bit with that three-point shot. Now they've taken thirty-eight three-point shots out of seventy-three field goals, so that's more obviously more three-pointers and two-pointers. And it seemed to me that that uh, Slovenia had had a real weakness inside the paint, and we saw that earlier. You mentioned there with the two sort of almost layups that Joe Ingles got earlier. I, I was surprised that they didn't attack the paint more than they did, and relied a lot on the three-ball. Um, probably a little bit too much in my opinion. So, yeah, but it was great to see Joe Ingles uh, chip in and, and really produce when it mattered. Uh, Dante, well, actually, we'll, we'll talk about Matisse Thibel because I'd sort of been saying for the last couple of weeks that I was a little bit confused as to why Matthew Dallavadova continued to start. Was it the fact that he had so much sort of, you know, a history with, uh, with the Boomers and had built up a lot of equity over a lot of years? So were they sort of starting him and giving him minutes by default. So it was good to see the team in the Team USA game, his numbers were, were slashed. But in this game, he didn't start and he only played the two and a half minutes. So that was a really good decision by Gorgian in the end. And to bring on Matisse Thibel, he finished with 11 points and the three steals. His defense had been outstanding right throughout the tournament and continued last night. And we saw that that huge dunk he threw down just before halftime. That's the sort of stuff that Matisse Thibel brings to the table that we can't get from anyone else, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I think clearly defensively being able to take that Luka Doncic matchup in the starting five is another reason I, I assume that uh, Thibel got the start ahead of Dolovadova, who, to be fair, looked pretty much broken and cooked um, as a player by the end of this Olympics. And, you know, you could see his performances and it's even hard to see how he's going to be, a, you know, even a, an above average player in the NBL next year. He, he's had such a That's you know, interesting. Work. Just, sorry to cut you off. Just on that, how do you think he's going to go? Because there's been a lot of fanfare about... Dally be, being signed up, uh, you know, for me as a United supporter, I'd, I would prefer Mitch McCarron to be running the point Matthew Dallavadova. So it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. Yeah, look, I wouldn't be expecting too much from him, really. He's clearly a, a high-level competitor and he's got every inch of performance out of his talent over the years and he's got to be absolutely heralded for that. He had a tremendous college career at St Mary's and, um, you know, historic numbers over there, really, when undrafted and then sort of signed on, obviously, in Cleveland and got basically thrown into to some really key uh, moments in their championship and finals um, quests over the years against the Warriors. So, yeah, he's had a tremendous uh, professional career and college career, but, I'd, yeah, you just look at him now. And at times last night, it was, you know, in the two and a half minutes he played, it was just like, oh, my God, he's, you, you've got to pull him pretty much straight away again because, yeah, I think he clearly suffered a lot of injuries in the last 12 months as well. And, yeah, I think the, the best of Dully's certainly uh, behind him, but, you know, hard to knock a guy that's you know found everything out of himself and and wouldn't have left anything to be desired on the table either. So um, all credit to him, and yeah, I think you know, he'll be a solid contributor in the NBL, but he by no means be a, a star player. I don't think. No, I agree with that. I'd, he'd be, as you said, a, a really good defender, and you know maybe a ten point a game to, uh, scorer. Like his shot looks, he's never had a pretty shot, obviously, but it looks even more broken than, than it ever has. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how he does go in the NBL. I can't imagine he's going to get another NBA contract. He does have that sort of opt out clause that if he does get an NBA contract, that he'll go over and play in the NBA. But I can't imagine any teams looked at what he's produced throughout these Olympics and and would be falling over themselves to sign Delhi as their as their backup point guard. Just on the game, we got out to a 14-point lead late in the game when, when Chris Golding knocked down a three, and it looked like, you know, that, that was sort of game over. But then we saw a couple of now, – now, we've we, we've seen, you know, this this unsportsmanlike foul or, or whatever the, the terminology is in uh, in international basketball. And, and for most of the time, I actually really like it. But I thought that one against Paddy Mills where, where I think it was Dragic knocked the ball clear. And, and Paddy Mills was just sort of trying to get in between – 
the the, uh, the player and the ball to basically shield him from from the ball. And he got called for an unsportsmanlike foul. I, I didn't like that at all. What you, I know to the letter of the law that was a foul, but to me that's a ridiculous, you know, sort of unsportsmanlike foul. Yeah, there's been a, a number of them throughout the tournament, and I think you know the rules are there, and you know this one was probably on the the lower end of the misdemeanour level, I would have thought. Um, you know, I know Dante Exum had had some issues in the previous game as well with the unsportsmanlike foul, you know, being able to grab someone as they were trying to run off. So, you know, they're pretty brutal penalties, uh, particularly with the two free throws and possession. So that was certainly um, a time of the game that did sort of swing it back towards Slovenia and they went on a run late in that, um, well, I suppose early in that last quarter to get it back to just the three points. And I was like, oh, my God, all the, the ghosts of the past had um, come back to haunt these boomers. But, yeah, again, Paddy Mills took control and um, Joe Ingles, as I said, hit some, hit some big shots and, you know, just the hustle from a guy like Nick Key, uh, Nick Key that kept the ball alive a number of times um, on the offensive end uh, was really important too. So across the board, you know, a, a really good performance. And I think, you know, the guy that for me really stood out in terms of stepping up to the level was Dante Exum. And, you know, I really hope that he still has a future in the NBA because we clearly haven't seen anywhere near the best of him um, throughout his short career so far due to all the injuries. But I think, you know, it's just great for him to to be able to know that he can mix it on that stage. And I thought he was, you know, quite outstanding the way he played uh, both offensively and at the defensive end on Luca at a number of times in last night's game. Oh, no doubt. And and he was the one because after that, that unsportsmanlike foul, I think they only hit one of the two. Then they scored two points and then Dally got the ball and, and sort of flicked his arm back and they called a pretty soft foul. And then they ended up scoring from that. So I think the margin got back to about seven or eight points. Um, and then Exum hit a huge three under pressure, and then Nick Kay sort of knocked the ball free, and Exum grabbed it and went the length of the floor and threw it down, and that was basically all she wrote. So, yeah, and you mentioned the fact that his defense was really good on Doncic as well. So you'd imagine an NBA team would have to give him another go, wouldn't you? Because he's a high draft pick. You, you, you said the fact that he's had all these injuries right throughout his career. Hopefully, finally, he's starting to get some continuity with his body, um, and then you know we might be able to see the best of Exum. I think he's still only twenty six. I think I think it is. So he's still got his best basketball ahead of him. So hopefully, he can stay nice and healthy, um, and we can see the best of him. You know, going forward. Uh, what about Jock Landau? He was big, wasn't he? He, he stepped up uh, in the absence of Aaron Baines and taken that starting center role and just produced again. And, and you know, no surprise to see the San Antonio Spurs give him an NBA contract for the next couple of seasons. Yeah, he's been terrific for the best part of the tournament. He certainly had a, a down day. I think it's fair to say in the game against the USA, it definitely one, wasn't one of his best. It was basically the day after he signed that contract with the Spurs. I'd hate to know what kind of pressure yeah, he was, was probably thinking, feeling. Who the hell have we signed? Yeah, with Pop standing on the bench across from him. But yeah, he, he didn't play well in that game. But yeah, he was much more formidable in this one in, on the inside. And you know, fourteen points in this game was was, was outstanding. And um, you know, a couple of nice little lefty hooks as well. So. Yeah, look, let's hope he can get a, a good run at it in the NBA. I think, you know, he's, he's the sort of guy that clearly works hard at his craft and he's improved year on year throughout his career, really. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, the world is oyster, really, to what um, he can continue to achieve in his career. He's stepped up to every level that he's been at so far and, and produced, you know, with excellence, really, whether it be in Europe, um, here in the NBL and you now at the Olympic level. So, yeah, good luck to, um, to Jock when he gets over to San Antonio and hopefully there's a... A, you know, a role of some significance for him on the Spurs lineup. Yeah, I'm sure there will be. And I guess the, the best thing about this, and you touched on it earlier, was just seeing the emotion sort of pouring out of all the players, you know, Mills, Ingles, Dallavadova, these guys that have been through, you know, with the Boomers through a, n- a number of these campaigns to come up short and to finally get that reward, albeit only the bronze, but just such a significant time for Australian basketball. I don't know if you heard Paddy Mills uh, talk to Mel McLaughlin after the game. He spoke fantastic. And then Andrew Gay is uh, speaking with Andy Marr. I don't know if you saw that as well, Caddy. Yeah. It's almost impossible not to get emotional listening to Andrew Gay's talk about how much it meant for him and his father and, you know, all these players that had been through all these losing campaigns to finally see Australia get that medal that they thoroughly deserved. Yeah, no, Paddy Mills clearly, Paddy Mills clearly the heart and soul of the whole thing. And, you know, you, you sometimes... You know, even hear AFL footballers talk, and you know, it gets a bit um, nauseating when they talk about culture and all this sort of stuff. But when you hear Paddy Mills talk about it, and Daly and and Joe Ingles and Aaron Baines, and it's clearly a real thing within that camp. And uh, to see even a guy like Matisse Thibel come in and, and really integrate himself within that group, and uh, 
no, he, he would have got a hell of a lot of, out of that to take back to his own NBA career, just being involved with the program. So I think it's a, you know, I think it's a real thing this Boomers uh, culture that they do talk about, and hopefully, you know, not that it wasn't there in the past. I think we've been pretty lucky over the years having really dogged and determined, uh, determined players um, that have represented Australia in the past. And you think back to you know, even a guy like David Anderson for all those Olympics, and you know Tony Robinson and Andrew Gaze and Mark Bradkey and. McKinnon and Anstey, you know, we've been pretty lucky with the amount of you know talent that's come through that Australian program. But um, and you know, that, that that importance people put onto it um, to represent Australia, hopefully, is there to continue because we, you know, there's a lot of good young talent, obviously around still. And you look forward to another Olympics in three years, and you know, you hope that a guy like Josh Giddy will then be involved. Whether Ben Simmons ever, you know, puts his hands up to do it um, as Don't well. Hold your so, no, but then, you know, you've got Dante Exxon now clearly ingrained into the program. Matisse Thibel hopefully sees value in, in sticking around and doing it. Whether I think the big question will be whether, you know, there's one last run in it for a guy like Paddy Mills and, and maybe Joe Ingles as well to, to come back one more time as 35, 36-year-olds in, in Paris and have more of a, obviously, minimised role, potentially just a, a shooter-type player off the bench, potentially for both of them. But, um, you know, hopefully there, there could be one last, one last um, campaign in them to try and win that gold medal. Oh, you'd hope so. You see a lot of guys, you know, Luis Scola being the, the – I mean, he, he's a centre, so you can play a little bit later. But you'd you'd imagine Mills and Ingles would, would certainly try and hold on for that next campaign. So hopefully they do. And you mentioned the guys there that we've got coming through to be sort of that next generation of Boomers players. It, it's really good to see. We'll touch on uh, Slovenia. Just a fantastic effort for – for this team, that I think it was their first um, appearance in the Olympics. I've only got a two million uh, people population. So Luka Doncic just outstanding right throughout the tournament. Clearly hampered by that hand injury. I'm assuming that 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 occurred in that France game where he banged into the scorers table. I didn't hear him talk how how it was, but he hit the scorers table late in that France game. But you know, a huge effort for them. Basically, Doncic carrying them. But they, they had some guys really step up for them. Uh, Zoran Dragic, when you look at him side on, he looks exactly like Goran Dragic. They're obviously brothers, but my God, they look so similar. It's not funny, but they were really impressive and they took it right up. They're obviously very unlucky in that uh, semi final game against France, having the shot blocked by Nicolas Batum right on the buzzer. So they went from being, you know, a half a step away from being in a gold medal game to, to not winning a medal. So clearly devastating for them, but you, you can't have uh, anything but admiration for the way they, they went about it right throughout this Olympic campaign. Yeah, for sure. And I think once they did qualify through that, you know, pretty tough qualifying campaign pre-Olympics that they were able to get themselves through that tournament and into the games, they pretty much you know, hit the ground running straight away. Obviously, Luka Doncic starred in that first game they played and, you know, we, we, we commented initially that, you know, any time you've got a guy like Luka um, playing who's, you know, so accustomed to this type of, you know, European-style FIBA basketball, you know, it's always going to be dangerous and, you know, they, they've got a number of good shooters in that team. And, you know, it's a shame, really, that in the end, Goran Dragic wasn't playing because he certainly would have provided another, you know, another weapon for them um, in this in their team. But, um, no, they, they performed fantastically well all through um, through these Olympics. And, as you said, their first um, crack at it, you know, I'm sure that they'll be back, you know, no doubt, bigger and better in three years' time and to take it up to the United States. And, you know, France is another one that, continues to perform so well on the world stage and have so many, you know, top-level players that have continued to come through the French national team as well. Yeah, no doubt they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for a number of years, given Luka, Luka Doncic is, is, is as young as he is. So we'll, we'll uh, flick over and talk about the gold medal game. So it was uh, America versus France, and, and it was uh, Team USA that come away with the 87-82 win, led again by Kevin Durant, 29 points, 9, in, 9 of 18 from the field. Jason Tatum with 19 off the bench. Just a fantastic win in the end for them, uh, for, for France. It was Rudy Gobert with 16 points and Evan Fournier with 16 points. J- just watching this game, Caddy, they were obviously challenged pretty much right throughout it, but you just, I, and me anyway, I just sort of felt, given that sort of safety blanket of Kevin Durant, I'd never really thought that uh, the United States were ever going to lose that game, but it was interesting to see that uh, certainly it was Kevin Durant early, he had 21 points in that first half. And in that last quarter, when the game was sort of still a little bit in the balance, they sort of went away from Durant unusually. I reckon, I haven't looked at the at the box score for that last quarter, but I, could, I reckon he only had one shot in that last quarter, which was interesting anyway for me to see that they went away a little bit from Durant um, and relied on some other guys. Yeah, no, Kevin Durant was clearly the, the one guy that, 
you know, even in, back into that Australian uh, semi-final, he was the guy that kept them in it when they were when they were struggling so much in that first half. When they went down fifteen, it was only Durant that was the only bloke that even looked like making a shot for them at that time. So he he was terrific all through the campaign for them. But yeah, in this gold medal game, you know, as much as the final score reads a, a five-point uh, margin, it, it probably felt like you know most of the time it was sort of 10, 11, 12 points, and then France would they just kept hanging around. I. I Sort of each time I got out to about eleven or twelve, I sort of was flicking it. I was lying in bed in hospital, so I wasn't, you know, looking at it too closely. But I'd sort of turn it off once they got eleven, twelve in front, and I'd see something on Twitter that they were back within four or five points, and you switch it back on again, and then the US would score, you know, the next couple of baskets. So they just couldn't close the gap um, quite enough. But um, you know, again, it just shows the, you know, these international teams that have been together for so long and, and play a certain style um, certainly can never, you know, going forward and certainly over the past decade, really can't be underestimated um, against even a, a team that's so talented like the USA that they're going to produce every year. These nation, national teams that um, do come together that have you know, got some some history and some familiarity about it, you know, are certainly no walkovers. And this uh, French, French team was no exception. They had a terrific tournament. And, you know, the French team has, has certainly got enough NBA talent in there, um, led by Rudy Gobert and Evan Fournier, to, to certainly put up a competitive performance. Oh, no doubt about it. Just quickly on Durant, so he's now won three Olympic golds. In the three gold medal games, he scored 30, 30, and 29. He's led Team USA in all three of those tournaments, and he shot fifty over 50% from three at the Olympics. So I don't think there's any doubt that Kevin Durant's uh, Team USA's best uh, player of all time. Uh, just, just on that France team, you mentioned there, you know, they were, they were sort of competitive uh, right throughout this game. But Rudy Gobert, we saw how distraught he was after the game. And he's got to be kicking himself over the fact that he was only six from 13 from the free throw line. It would have certainly would have made Team USA a little bit more nervous if he was able to knock down those, those free throws. And I, I would have been interested to see how Team USA did deal with a really tight game because we did see him come up short in game one against France when it got real tight, but they were able to keep that little buffer to make sure France didn't put enough pressure on them to to sort of ask enough questions. But Rudy Gobert has to be, you know, have a few sleepless nights about that free throw shooting performance, wouldn't he? Yeah, no, it's clearly not ideal. I mean, it's not not one of his strongest points really anyway, the free throw shooting. But, um, yeah, 6 of 13 on the night isn't ideal. And, you know, you, you just can't leave points out on the table like that against a team like the USA. And, um, yeah, it's just certainly not going to assist you in, in, you know, closing that gap. And it gives, you know, the USA just a, a let off as well when you work so hard to for every point that you score against them to um, to give up um, points at the line. But um, no, he had a great tournament. And Nicholas Batum, I think that block that he had in the Slovenian semi-final will certainly go down as one of the one of the greatest basketball plays you'll, you'll ever see. And um, that picture will be hanging somewhere in the Louvre, I'm sure, for many years um, in, in France because that was just a, tr- a tremendous play. Question without notice. It, I said when this uh, Team USA roster was announced a month or so ago, whenever it might be, that any team with Kevin Durant and 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 reasonable talent around him is good enough to win pretty much any any tournament they go in, and that proved to be the case. But let's say let, let's take Durant out of the equation and substitute him with anybody. Let's say even Steph Curry, maybe even LeBron James. If if it was LeBron or Steph in Durant's Play said, do you reckon they come away with this gold? Because I've got serious doubts about that. Yeah, look, I don't think there was that. You know, Steph maybe you know clearly an unbelievable shooter, but you know being at his size and you know I don't think it's such an advantage for him. Um, you know, being able to penetrate the lane in this international game, whereas Durant clearly has that height advantage. He can pull up, hit the shot really from anywhere. You know, LeBron at his age would have he been as dynamic and as and again just the field goal um, percentage that Kevin Durant was able to shoot at throughout the tournament. Yeah, totally different, probably um, result if if they were, you know, in his place. I, I think if Kevin Durant wasn't playing, Australia would have beaten them um, in that game, you know. But you could have, I suppose, you know, there, there are another number of other stars. Would, would a guy like James Harden have been able to come in, you know, if he was fully fit and have a similar impact from a scoring point of view, you know, possibly. So you know, there, there's other guys that weren't there from America's point of view. But yeah, it's it certainly. Uh, for Kevin Durant, he was clearly head and shoulders above you know the rest of these guys on the team, and you know even a guy like Damian Lillard, you know who I thought would have strive uh, would have thrived in this type of tournament. You know he, he was really you know found lacking. I think a, a number of times he hit some key buckets you know along the way, but yeah, just certainly not from a high level scoring point of view. Only averaged the twelve points throughout the tournament. So um, yeah, he's a guy that I would have thought would have relished the, um, that type of opportunity, but. 
yeah, Kevin Durant's done it time and time again now throughout Olympic campaigns. And, you know, credit to him for continuing to back up, put his hand up and give up his off-seasons when, you know, he's clearly got nothing left to prove and um, he keeps delivering and, and just, you know, help himself to another uh, four-year, $200 million, uh, five-year, $200 million contract uh, when he comes home. So. Yeah, yeah, not bad, Coin. Yeah, I totally agree. Full credit to Durant for doing that. He's he's proven everything throughout his basketball career, and he had already played in two Olympics. So you, nobody would have excused him for, um, you know, nobody would have hung shit on him for not playing in this one. So full credit to him. Dame Lillard, I totally agree. He he was it was perplexing how bad he played, but there there was a report that came out after the gold medal game that he did have an abdominal strain. So. You know, maybe that affected him, but he, he but certainly Dame Time didn't travel, did, didn't correspond with China Time, Caddy Dame Time, because well, he, he came up short. And just in some breaking news, they have announced the All Star Five for the Tokyo Games as well. So that's um, in the guard spots, you've got Ricky Rubio and Paddy Mills, Luka Doncic and Kevin Durant, and then Rudy Gobert as the centre with the All Star yep. Five for the um, Tokyo Games. Yeah, it seems pretty fair. I mean, the only one you could maybe mount an argument for was Fournier in Rubio's position, but Rubio actually led the tournament in scoring, which, you know, you, you, nobody would have predicted that at all. He had, obviously had that big game against Team USA in that loss. So, yeah, that, that was. it'll be interesting to see how Rubio does go this season. I mean, he, he never plays that aggressive in the NBA, but um, but he, he was fantastic right throughout the tournament for, for that Spain team. So we'll leave the Olympic talk there, Caddy, and switch over to the, the free agent talk. Now, the free agent... Market opened up last Monday, and there was two point eight billion dollars caddy worth of contracts handed out during during that period. Certainly boosted by these extensions to you know Butler and Gilgis Alexander and Kevin Durant and Trey Young. So those numbers certainly contributed to to pushing up that number. But to hand out almost three billion dollars worth of contracts, the the, the team certainly weren't shy about uh, opening up the checkbook. There was a number of teams caddy that uh, made some big moves and, and some perplexing moves. But we'll start with. Your your boys, Caddy, the Chicago Bulls, who uh, added Lonzo Ball. Uh, they gave him a four four year, eighty five million dollar contract in a sign and trade deal with the Pelicans, who we'll touch on later. Who made some perplexing decisions, but uh, Chicago gave up Sadoransky, Garrett Temple, and a second round pick. Uh, the Bulls also signed Alex Caruso to a four year, thirty seven million dollar deal, um, and then the big one, sort of a couple of days, I think, after. The free agency opened. They signed DeMar DeRozan to a three-year, $85 million deal. Um, they sent out Thad Young, Alfa Rucamino, and a first-round pick, which is protected. When you're looking now at the Chicago Bulls, Caddy, they've got a really good starting five. You'd imagine it's probably going to be uh, Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Patrick Williams, and Nick Vucevic. And off the bench, they're going to have Alex Caruso, Kobe White, Tony Bradley, who they signed as a backup centre, uh, Laurie Markkinen's future is still a little bit up in the air. There's reports saying that he does want a change of scenery, which isn't surprising. So they're probably going to have to add another one or two guys to to come off the bench and probably help him on the wing. But from a from a Chicago Bulls supporter's uh, perspective, Caddy, you must be really pleased with what they've done in the offseason. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, you look at the Bulls and, you know, for a number of years they they seem to be a really stingy type of organisation, particularly when it comes around free agent time. They, you know, often you know, kind of promise a lot but don't deliver. But um, these guys that have come in um, into the front office in the last 12 months have been clearly shown that they're prepared to, to make the big moves and, and, you know, give up draft capital to do so and pay big money. So, you know, you, you can't knock, you know, a team for do that. Hopefully it's done responsibly. But, it, you know, in this case, they clearly identified uh, Lonzo Ball. That, that there was no secret that, you know, the, the Chicago Bulls were writing to him as far back as the last trade deadline in last season. So, you know, to get him at what I think was probably a pretty good number and, and particularly when you look at what, you know, in the sign and trade that's happened, um, you know, to be able to just do it through getting rid of Thomas Santoransky and Garrett Temple. Now, I know Woj reported today that um, the NBA could be investigating uh, this sign and trade for potential tampering, which isn't what a, load isn't of a good shit sign. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know how they can sort of, do that, and then you look at the Lakers, who were already talking about. Oh yeah, um, LeBron and AD were been talking to Russell Westbrook for weeks, and you know uh, pl- no... players are allowed to tamper, but uh, apparently the front office aren't. But but all these deals get signed at twelve oh one, so they've either they've either got the best negotiating skills of all time, or obviously they're talking before this supposed deadline. Yeah, so I can't imagine they'll they'll overturn the actual um, moves, whether the Bulls copper a fine of some description might be more the and point. A draft think, pick or something they might lose. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been giving those away for fun at the moment, so that, that's not going to hurt us too much. But no, you know, you look, 
you look at that starting lineup, and it, yeah, certainly an exciting lineup in terms of you know even just having Levine and Lonzo Ball together um, will create plenty of excitement. Gerard Marta Rose, and I, look, I, I think you know slightly can be underrated at times just for the way he plays. He's a you know doesn't nothing does nothing exciting. He sort of that you know pulls up for those mid ranges all the time with the long twos, which are obviously unpopular in the NBA, although they did come back in their fashion a little bit through the NBA finals. So and he's a better passer and playmaker than I think people give him credit for. Whether That's you know, improved over to, the last couple of years when he went to San, yeah. San Antonio, didn't it? So whether or not they needed to – well, they clearly had to pay that type of money for him to do it, but then also having to you know, give up some pretty key assets in that trade, particularly the Thaddeus Young uh, contract and the first-round pick. But um, you know, you've got to make these moves to, to have a crack at that starting five. You know, on paper, um, looks terrific if we're, you know, anticipating further growth, which I think we all are around Patrick Williams now. He's going to have a huge role defensively, I think, for this team because I still think if you look at that starting five, you know, there are some issues, obviously, at the defensive end. But, you know, then you look at a guy like Alex Caruso who will come off the bench. He's a terrific defender. Um, I think, you know, getting Tony Bradley in was a pretty um, underrated uh, move as well. As a, You know, I think he's got some... Some upside as a big guy, so you know. Look, I'm excited that they've yeah clearly had a plan and and, and delivered on that plan. You know whether it's given them a, a big enough boost to sort of get into that top echelon of the East. I, I think I think that's still a, would, would be a bit of a stretch, but I think you know they've certainly um, doubled down on the move they made getting Vucevic um, and now to get some you know more star level players and DeRozan and Lonzo Ball in particular into this team um, should be really exciting for the Chicago um, heading to the season. Yeah, it certainly will be. And you mentioned there that that starting five should be able to put a lot of points on the board. And and the and the defense is clearly the question. But you know, Patrick Williams you mentioned there that you can have a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of a second year player. But he, he's sort of proven in his first year that he's capable of performing at a pretty good level on the defensive end. Levine's the interesting one for me because I thought he sort of took that role for Team USA as almost a defensive stopper. So now that he's not going to be required to sort of shoulder as much load with DeMar DeRozan coming on board, uh, Lonzo Ball can handle the ball a little bit. Obviously doesn't shoot the ball a lot, but can sort of hit from the outside. So maybe now that Zach Levine isn't going to be required to handle as much of a load offensively, he can transfer some of that defense, uh, some of his energy to the defensive end, which I thought he did really well for the Team USA. So if he can do that, there's no reason why the Chicago Bulls can't be good enough defensively and then sort of, you know, sort of explode almost uh, on the offensive end with all these guys. Like Bulls, a good three-point shooter. Zach Levine's a good three-point shooter. Nikola Vucevic can shoot from the outside. You know, Kobe White's a bit of a microwave scorer off the bench. So they're certainly going to have a lot of scoring power, you know, and to be able to go toe-to-toe with almost any team in the NBA on the offensive end. So you mentioned there that you may be a little unsure about sort of does it lift them up into that upper echelon in the Eastern Conference. For me, it probably doesn't. But where where would you sort of have them as a ballpark finisher or where do you think they need to finish given sort of how much they've uh, they've given up to put this lineup together? Yeah, well, I think that's the key. They have given up, you know, most of their draft assets really going forward. Um, they'll have their own pick next year, um, but after that, they'll obviously got to convey another pick to Orlando and then this one now to San Antonio. But yeah, look, I think they've got to be, you know, a four or five seed, I think. You know, look at what Atlanta were able to do last year, bringing in some, you know, some more experienced players to put around young talent, and they were able to make that jump. You know, the Knicks were in that sort of spot as well. So I think they've got to really get up to that level to justify. You know the investment they they've put into um, Demar Derozan, Monzo Ball on long longer term deals. Um, Vukovic has still got you know two years left on his deal, and then the big bigger uh, one will be the Zach Levine extension, which he's which possibly could come in this off season. He's got um, just one year left on his deal, so that'll put them pretty much in terms of finances at the absolute limit once they re-sign Zach Levine. And um, you did mention like the Laurie Markinum uh, deal. Now it's likely that he will leave and. That's just whether that'll sort of go into a sign and trade or, or whether he gets a restricted offer sheet, which hasn't come as yet. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what sort of level of value Laurie Markinen's got on the mark. But I think their partnership with Chicago's uh, certainly over. But no, I think they're they're going to be, well, you'd, you'd like to think all things being equal and a fully fit Bulls team next year will certainly be a playoff team. Um, yeah, I just can't see them at this stage sort of pushing into that Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Milwaukee type of range at this stage. Well, the, the other East team that, that made a big, made some big splashes in the free agency were my boys, the Miami Heat. So they signed 
Kyle Lowry to a three-year, $85 million deal in a sign-and-trade with the Toronto Raptors. They gave up Goran Dragic and Precious Achua, their rookie from last season. He showed a lot of promise, so it would have, wouldn't have been easy for, for uh, Pat Riley to give Precious Achua up. Uh, they also signed Duncan Robinson to a five-year, $90 million deal. Now, there was always going to be a lot of money thrown at Duncan Robinson. I think that's the biggest deal signed by an undrafted player in the history of the NBA. So full credit to Duncan Robinson to, to earn $90 million, a $90 million contract as an undrafted player. Um, they signed Jimmy Butler to a four-year, $184 million extension. He's going to be 36 when that ends, so that's clearly a bit of a risk. Um, they also signed Markeith Morris to a one-year minimum, which which I thought was a pretty good deal for a for a minimum player. PJ Tucker was a surprise one to be able to sign him away from the Milwaukee Bucks, a two-year, fifteen million dollar deal. And then they also signed Victor Oladipo to a one-year minimum deal. Uh, he, let's not forget that uh, Victor Oladipo declined a two-year, forty-five million dollar extension from the Houston Rockets last season to bet on himself. So he's no doubt kicking himself that he's now signing a, a one-year minimum deal. And also Dwayne Demon, he signed a one-year minimum deal. So when you look at the Miami team now, they're probably going to run out of starting five, I'd imagine. It would look something like Kyle Lowry, uh, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, PJ Tucker, and Bam Adebayo uh, with Tyler Hero, Victor Oladipo if he can stay healthy, uh, Morris and Dedman coming off the bench, and you know they're probably going to look to add some wing talent as well. So for me as a, as a Miami uh, supporter... I like sort of in principle. I like what they did, but I reckon that they're obviously uh, they're, they're having a they're taking a big risk with some of these deals. For me, Kyle Lowry, three years and eighty five million dollars is a lot of money to be paying Kyle Lowry at his age. That last year of that deal could certainly get a bit hairy. But you know, we, we've seen you know right throughout the last year or two that no contract is untradeable. So even if they need to get off that last year of Kyle Lowry at some stage, they they could do that. But certainly next year and the year after, that's a really good deal to bring in someone with Lowry's, obviously, championship experience. Um, he's a really good point guard. He can shoot the three. He's a rugged defender. He's always one of the league leaders in charge of taking. So he fits that Miami DNA, that Miami culture caddy, as they like to call it. Uh, and the other risky uh, contract, I suppose, was that four-year, four $184 million extension for Jimmy Butler. For a guy who really can't shoot well, at all, you know, from the perimeter, to, to be given that sort of money to a guy who relies sort of, not that he's a super athlete, but he does rely on his athleticism. He's, he's obviously very strong as well and a very cerebral player. But to be paying a guy that sort of money at that age could, could certainly get a bit risky. And and someone like Dwayne Wade, who who had to leave Miami you know, when he was the greatest player in Miami Heat's franchise to, to go and play a couple of seasons for Chicago Bulls because he couldn't get a $20 million contract. He must be sitting there scratching his head that they're willing to throw out that sort of money to Jimmy Butler, but they couldn't. They weren't willing to do that for the best player in franchise history. So th those two deals for me are a little bit risky, but in principle, I like what Miami did. What, do, what are you seeing now from Miami, Caddy? Obviously a disappointing end last year to, to be swept by the eventual champions are Milwaukee Bucks. They finish as a sixth seed. Do you think they can push up into probably that second tier East team uh, below Brooklyn and Milwaukee and maybe around the Philadelphia mark? Well, I think they, they need to be thinking that's where they're sitting now. I mean, to, to go after Cole Lowry, clearly, you know, was one of the preeminent point guard free agents on the market and uh, clearly a guy that they'd identified um, to have some additional veteran, you know, leadership into this team. So I don't think you're signing a guy like... Kyle Lowry, if you don't think you're, you know, you're making a late season sort of charge. So I think they'd look at themselves as certainly a, you know, a top four type level team in the Eastern Conference. Would That would have to be where their expectations would be. You know, and I think on paper, when you look at it, um, you know, I, you'd have to think that they'd be some sort of chance to, to do that. I, they kind of had a, a, such a difficult year with injury and, and health and safety protocols last year. They just couldn't get anything going. But you know, Duncan Robinson's such a great story. You mentioned, you know, the, the big contract for a guy that's been undrafted. Uh, you know, that just shows how important people look at those three-point shooters. Um, they can, you know, defend a little bit. You know, that was such a that was a really big number. I, I think to, to pay for Duncan Robinson, but you know, the precedents have been set, even with a guy like Davis Bertans in the last off-season. That anyone that can, you know, be deadly from outside is going to get paid. So, well, you'd hope it had turned I, out better than that contract because I think the Wizards regretted that from the minute they signed it. Yeah, you know, there's probably risk here. You know that, that Duncan Robinson doesn't doesn't continue to improve and progress. I think Tyler Harrow's the the key one that needs to bounce back this season and have a more consistent year than he did last year. And if he can do that and complement 
Kyle Lowry um, and Duncan Robinson in that backcourt and allow Jimmy Butler to continue to do what he did. I think Dan Adebayo would have got a lot out of being around that Team USA this year. So they're going to be in a really strong position heading into next year again, and, and you'd have to think that they're going to be, um, you know, more than, you know, more than competitive and hopefully, you know, really realistic to have a, a deep playoff run in, in, in going into next season. I think, I think importantly, defensively, they've just improved so much. Lowry's a great defender. You look at that, that, that you know, proposed starting five, Lowry, Butler, Tucker, Adebayo, all fantastic defenders. It's, and it's really only Robinson, who, who's just an average. Like, he's not a below average. He's not a above average. He's just sort of a league average defender. So you, you'd imagine that certainly defensively, they're going to be very, very hard to score against. And that, that has been the Miami way, certainly last year. And, and over those years, those championships runs with, you know, Wade, LeBron and Bosch, everybody talks about how good they were offensively, but it was defensively defense that made them such a tough uh, proposition. So I could see that continuing next year for the Miami Heat. One of the other marquee, well, the marquee uh, franchise in the NBA, the, the, the Los Angeles Lakers. We spoke last week about the trade they did with Russell Westbrook and the fact that they didn't have hardly anybody left on the roster after that trade. Well, we they added a number of guys uh, this week, a lot of experience and a, and a lot of young guys. So they added Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Reza, Wayne Ellington and Kent Bazemore were sort of the older guys that they that they added. Then they got Malik Monk, which I thought was a really good signing for them. Kendrick Nunn, they signed away from the Miami Heat. And they re-signed Taylor Horton Tucker as well. So what do you make now, Caddy, of this reshaped roster? There's only four holdover players from last season, incredibly so, it's, which is LeBron, uh, Anthony Davis, Gasol and Horton Tucker. Um, they also added Dwight Howe, which I didn't mention. So what do you make, Caddy, of this reshaped Lakers roster? Yeah, well, they're certainly an interesting case. They've, you know, really gone that sort of old man type of player, uh, bringing back Dwight Howard and then signing Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza. Um, Wayne Ellington's another one that's certainly not young anymore. So, you know, they're, they're going to do it a bit differently. But, you know, I think any time, you know, you, you put that level of talent around a, a team, then, you know, again, I think they'd probably, without seeing any of the, the prohibitive elements for next year, they'd have to be one of the top couple of favourites, I'd think, to to be the, to win the championship. So if they can stay healthy throughout the year, then they're going to be put themselves in a good position. It's just whether or not, you know, when the whips get cracking late in the year that they've, you know, got enough versatility and enough sort of depth, I suppose, that or any of these players that can continue to play significantly. I know, you know, Trevor Reese is now 35 years old. Um, I don't think he had a, a great uh, showing for Miami in the playoffs last year. And so, nope. you know, is he, he is certainly he gonna, did not. Yeah, well, is he going to bring anything additional to the table for them? Wayne Ellington, another one that, you know, you always look at his name and a great three-point shooter. Um, but again, it never really had a, a big moment really in his career that as a major really stand up and take notice. So, you know, they, they've certainly changed that whole roster around. You kind of wonder what the hell it's going to look like once LeBron does either leave or finish up. You know the, the cupboard's going to be pretty bare there as well. They're going to have to basically have, have a whole another rebuild unless they can land, you know, the next absolute super duper star to come over to LA because it's pretty much again an all in type of situation with what they've done with the roster. That you know, the expectation will be that they're, you know, a finals level team. You know, with a fleet of veterans coming in on the minimum um, to surround Westbrook, Davis, and, and LeBron. Look, I think they've done a pretty reasonable job of, of filling out the roster. I really like the uh, the Horton Tucker free agent deal. You know, he's a guy that I'm, I think they you know think a lot of and would like to think can really step up, you know, and take a bit more um, responsibility now. You know, guys like Kuzma and Caruso have moved on. I think we'll see a much probably bigger and more consistent role for him uh, heading into next season uh, because he is going to be sort of that key key pillar for them, you know, longer term, I would have thought. But, yeah, no, they're going to be an interesting watch. Again, the injuries are going to be the crucial thing for Davis and LeBron in particular and Russell Westbrook, whether they can all stay on the court. Uh, but if they do, they, yeah, you know, they're going to be a really tough team to, to get past for sure. It is a strange, strange roster now, isn't it? When, when, when I'm looking at teams, I like sort of to put together the starting five and, and look at the bench and try and work out how it's all sort of going to piece together. But I... I, I I had a shot at picking the starting five that I thought might happen, and I'll give you a go after I've had it. It, it was very hard. Obviously, Westbrook, LeBron, and Davis are, are sort of the walk-ups. Now, I, I settled on Westbrook, Kendrick Nunn. I mean, I don't know. LeBron, Davis at the four, and Gasol at the five. Obviously, Davis will swing over to the five late in games, but th- that's the five I sort of settled on. But then coming off the bench, you've got Malik Monk, Trevor Ariza, Horton Tucker, Dwight Howard, 
Carmelo Anthony, Kent Bazemore, all these guys that I just ran through there got got minutes on on pretty good teams last year. So, and that, I didn't even mention uh, Wayne Ellington. So, they've sort of got eleven guys that they they can sort of give minutes to. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that sort of shapes out. What what, what would your starting five be, Caddy, for the Lakers? Yeah, I think it'd be <laughs> it could be anyone really. Uh, it depends, you know, if we're expecting Anthony Davis. To play the five, you know, if he's you know still playing the four, then you could obviously still start Marcus Ole or Dwight Howard potentially. But you know, let's assume Anthony Davis is the starting center, then LeBron plays the four, and uh, Russell Westbrook the starting point guard. Now, I think the other two spots will come out of, um, as you mentioned, either Kendrick Nunn or Horton Tucker, uh, potentially Malik Monk. Even you know he was um, another underrated uh, signing for this team. I think you know he's now got a real opportunity to to make some progress in his career. Um, he's shown some signs of it at, at different times in, in his career, but certainly been had a good season uh, last year, didn't he? He, he certainly a game against Miami that I remember watching. He, he he was the reason that Charlotte got across the line. He he gets hot. He goes on stretches where he plays good for a couple of weeks and then sort of falls off. Yeah, and Kendrick Nunn's not too dissimilar. He can have nights from the scoring point of view as well. So they look they got some options there. You know, Wayne Ellington as well. I'd be surprised if you know if he was the starter, but you know, Trevor Ariza's been a guy that for whatever reason keeps. Fo- finding themselves in starting lineups of playoff-like teams. So, you know, potentially he's another one. So, yeah, who knows where, the, where it'll land. But, um, you know, they, they do have plenty of plenty of options and how it all comes together will be the, uh, the challenge for the Lakers um, coaching staff. Now, the other marquee uh, franchise that, that made some moves were the New York Knicks, uh, obviously coming off the, the playoffs last year for the first time in quite a number of years. So they re-signed Derrick Rose, three years, $43 million dollars. Newlands Noel, three years, $32 million. Alex Burks, three years, $30 million. Uh, they signed Evan Fournier as a free agent, four years, $78 million. Now, when all those deals were announced, a lot of people sort of scoffed at that and thought, oh, here we go again. It's the Knicks sort of signing these guys, you know, and, and they're going to be mediocre again. But I think really importantly, all those deals I just mentioned there, the last year of those contracts are team options. So they can obviously get themselves out from underneath those contracts if these guys aren't performing up to the level that they would like, or they could obviously guarantee those contracts and use them in in trades as well. So it certainly gives the the New York Knicks front office a lot of flexibility. And then uh, the, the big one, which sort of only was announced a couple of days ago, they were able to sign Kemba Walker, who was bought out by the Oklahoma City Thunder, who he was owed two years and $73.7 million. Uh, and they signed him for next year for, I don't, the number hasn't been disclosed, but it's about 8 or $9 million. So to get him at that number was certainly was a really big signing for them. Uh, they also extended uh, Julius Randle, Julius Randall to, to a four-year, $117 million extension, which means over the next five years he's going to be making $140 million. So again, Caddy, I'm going to go to my starting five, which I like to do. Uh, you look at the starting potential starting five anyway for the New York Knicks of Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, and probably Mitchell Robinson at the centre position. And then coming off the bench, Alec Burks, Derek Rose, Nerlens Noel, uh, Quigley and, o- and Obi Toppin, they're two rookies from last year that certainly show that certainly showed flashes, more so Quigley than Toppin, but obviously they'll be hoping Toppin can uh, take a step up this year. Well, we spoke about the Knicks when they got uh, eliminated by Atlanta, and I sort of mentioned to you that you know, it would be no surprise if the Knicks didn't get anywhere near the playoffs uh, next season. But but now with this lineup, they're going to roll out there. I think they're going to be right in the mix in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think they look better on paper, to be honest. I think um, you know, if Kemba Walker can come back in some some sort of shape, let, let's hope so. Let's hope in, in tip top shape because um, yeah, I don't think he was at, at that level in his last couple of seasons or the last season of Boston in particular. So, you know, with him and Evan Fournier coming into the side, you know, it obviously alleviate some of the scoring pressure that Derek Rose probably was feeling, particularly later in the season. Um, you know, and it continues to allow Golok RJ Barrett to develop at his own pace without having to take on really any additional responsibility that's out of out of his um you know potential at, at this stage. So now I really liked what they did at the start, as you mentioned, you know, it was a bit of a here we go, they're just re-signing all their guys all these three-year contracts. I think as it's turned out, most of them are just two years with um, options on the third year that they can move off on if they need to. But no, they've, they've showed you know really good faith in, in the players they'd brought in. Julius Randle, Derek Rose, um, obviously Nerland's Noel as well. So they've been able to reward those guys for the um, for the efforts they had. Alec Burks is another one. So, you know, I, I like what they did in the off-season. And, and as you mentioned, you know, they're not going to go anywhere, I don't think, from a, from a playoff team point of view. So that 
that Eastern Conference continues to get stronger and stronger and more competitive um, after you know so many years of basically being in the wilderness. I think you know now there's probably eight legitimately good teams in in the in the East, and you know you'd probably have question marks whether there's um, that same number over in the West now. Oh, there's there's no doubt in my opinion anyway that the East will be the the stronger conference next season. It's been called the least in conference for a long time, but you, you just start looking at the standings from from this year. You know, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, New York. We've just spoken about Atlanta, Miami, uh, Boston, uh, Washington, Indiana, Charlotte, Chicago. That, that's eleven teams I've just reeled off there that you'd you'd expect are going to be around the mark. And who knows what's going to happen with Toronto? So it's going to be a very competitive Eastern Conference going forward next year. So there's certainly going to be. You know, quite a few disappointed teams that have pushed all their chips in, like maybe a Chicago or, or one of these teams around the mark that, that, that are going to miss the playoffs and they're, they're going to be left very disappointed at the end of the season. Now, there was a number of other big contracts that were signed uh, during, the, during the free agency period, Caddy. I'm just going to run through a few of these and then I'm just going to ask you which ones you thought were interesting or raise your eyebrows or who you think might have a big impact. So there was Chris Paul re-signed four years, $120 million, I think only around about... 80 million or so of that is guaranteed. Shea Gilgis Alexander signed his uh, extension five years, 172 million. Not bad for a guy who didn't even play the last half of the season. Kawhi Leonard is rumored to be re signing with the Clippers. We, there's been no mention of the length or the number of, the, uh, of how much he's going to get paid, but apparently it's almost a done deal. They also re signed Reggie Jackson, two years, 22 million, and Justice Winslow to a two year mid level uh, exception deal. Mike Conley, three years, $72 million for the Utah. Uh, Portland re-signed Norm Powell, who they traded for uh, during the trade period, just before the trade deadline last year. Five years, $90 million. John Collins, uh, Atlanta re-signed. There was obviously a bit of speculation about he might be on the move. Would he get thrown a big offer sheet? Well, he re-signed Atlanta. Five years, $125 million. Jarrett Allen, who, who Cleveland uh, acquired at the trade deadline last year, five years, $100 million. Hardaway Jr. re-signed for Dallas four years, $74 million. Uh, and Spencer Dinwiddie, who didn't play at all last year, three years, $62 million to the Washington Wizards. Which deals out of those, Caddy, sort of caught your attention or raised your eyebrows? Yeah, there's a fair bit to, to digest through there and, you know, a, you know, quite a, um, a big disparity. I think when you look at the money some of these guys get paid compared to other guys, really, it, it's, it's quite remarkable. In terms of fit, I really liked the one that's probably a little bit underrated. I liked the signing of Reggie Bullock to Dallas. I think that would be a good one. Uh, uh, you know, pretty... going deep there. Yeah, well, I just think his, his shooting is going to be really complimentary to Luka Doncic and Hardaway Jr. I think it's a real step up from what they would have got out of Josh Richardson last year. So I don't mind that deal for them. You know, I think you look at Atlanta, they pretty much had to do the two deals that they did, the Trey Young extension, the five-year, $207 million, and then the John Collins five-year. They've really gone all, all in on that team that took them, obviously, so far last year. And it, you know they're going to be an interesting watch as to whether they can sustain that level of play. Um, they brought back Lou Williams as well on another one-year contract. So they're pretty much the same team as they were last year. So they'll be you know a, a team that's kind of stuck um, stuck fat with, with what they had. So... You know, from the Chicago Bulls' point of view, I think you know that DeRozan three-year, um, quite a large number, eighty-five millions. You know, was probably the eye-popping one when it happens in terms of that number. Um, you know, clearly a, a really terrific player, but I, I don't think there was too many that would have thought that that number was coming. In terms of the bargain deals, I think you know I liked Otto Porter Jr. to Golden State Warriors on the minimum. I think that was a, a sneaky underrated deal for them. Um, and the other move that I liked as well. Was the Utah Jazz being able to pick up? Was it he was able to pick up Eric Pascal from Golden State Warriors? I think that was a, a good pickup for Utah uh, to continue to sort of build some further depth in that team. I think he'll be um, useful. It's basically a, a salary dump from the Warriors' point of view. Uh, he joined by a trade there. Um, the Jazz also are able to re- uh, to sign Rudy Gay on a two-year, twelve million dollar contract and, and Whiteside to a one-year deal. So they've been able to add a couple of little pieces around what they already had as well. So. Yeah, quite an interesting free agent period. You know, you still look at there's a few big names on the board to come. Dennis Schroeder still hasn't hasn't found a home. You know, he was rumoured to have left a four year, eighty million dollar tape uh, deal. Um, How do you reckon he's feeling about that decision now? Uh, he'd be feeling pretty nervous because I don't know that there's any teams with that type of money um, really left. So he's going no, to. No one needs a point guard that badly that they're going to pay him four years, eighty million, do they? No, well, I think he'll be one of these guys who'll have to just sign. 
you know, a one-year deal potentially and play it out and then have another crack uh, next season, a bit like Victor Oladipo. So, you know, another guy that clearly turned down uh, big money and, and chasing something more substantial. So, yeah, that's um, yeah, it's a risky business um, these guys are in and, you know, the agents are probably under as much pressure as the players at times to, to make the right decisions. But, um, yeah, there were, there were, I was really surprised at how quickly things happened and moved in that first day or two. There was an extraordinary amount of action um, that happened straight out of the gate. And, um, yeah, it sort of dried up the money um, pretty quickly. Yeah, it's fun getting on Twitter that first day, isn't it, when uh, Shams and Woj are going nuts and there's, there's deals flying out left, right and centre. So, some of the minor deals that I that, that I really like for the teams were Bobby Portis coming back to Milwaukee, two years, $9 million. Like that. That's an extraordinarily low number for me. Uh, he, he went on the uh, Zach Lowe podcast about a week or so after they won the championship, and he mentioned that he had he had offers last season for, for over $10 million, but he decided to stay... Uh, he decided to sign with Milwaukee because he thought he'd be a chance to win that championship. Now, having done that, I thought he would have gone out and got it, got his payday, so to speak. But two years, nine million—that's a bargain for for Milwaukee. I believe that second year might be a player option. So again, he could you know re- renegotiate at the end of next year. But that's a great deal for them. They also bought back George Hill, two years, eight million dollars, so that they get uh, you know that veteran leadership to come off the bench. And I think he led the NBA in three point shooting last time he played for Milwaukee. So that's obviously you know the the game plan at Milwaukee to surround uh, Giannis with as many three shooters, three point shooters as possible. So to get George Hill, two years, $8 million. That's a good deal for them. JaVale McGee, one year, $5 million to go to Phoenix. We saw during the playoffs when uh, Dario Saric went down with that injury, they were really left wanting in that backup big position. So good to see them get someone like McGee. Like He's obviously not going to play a lot of minutes, but he's wherever he goes, they win. He's on Team USA, they win a championship. He's on the Lakers, they win they win a championship. So it's, it's clearly JaVale McGee is the reason that these teams are coming up Trump. So very, very good uh, decision by Phoenix to get JaVale McGee there. Nicholas Batum uh, re-signing with the Clippers, two years, $6 million. I thought it was a really good signing for the Clippers to get him back at such a low number. Uh, Blake Griffin, one year, a minimum contract deal again. He was fantastic for Brooklyn. Their second or third best player at times during those playoffs. So a bit of a surprise to me that he couldn't get more than a, min- a minimum deal or maybe he was just enjoyed his, his experience so much for the Brooklyn Nets that he wanted to to repay them and stay there on a min- on, on a minimum deal. Uh, and the interesting one for me, Caddy, is Andre Drummond, a one-year minimum contract to Philly. And given the history between Joel Embiid and Andre Drummond, they've had a lot of spats after games. And I think Joel Embiid said that he sort of rents space in um, Joel Embiid's uh, head. It's going to be interesting to see how those two guys mesh together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was a pretty good recovery there for Philly to, to be able to get a guy of Drummond's um, capabilities into that backup role. I know, you know, Dwight Howard didn't set the world on fire, but it is such a key plank to put in there, you know, just with the uncertainty around Joel Embiid's uh, fitness uh, year in, year out. So I think Drummond's, you know, he, he'll get a, a pretty good opportunity, I think, to show his wares in Philly next year. And, um, you know, I think that was a, a pretty good move and, but yeah, quite interesting considering, yeah, the history of those those two players, as you mentioned. Now, what about what about Patty Mills? Two years, twelve million dollars to go to the Brooklyn Nets. Did you like that deal? For me, I would have liked to have seen him go somewhere else. He's going to be, you know, so far back in that pecking order. Obviously, behind the three stars, um, you know, Joe Harris, maybe even slightly above Patty Mills. It, it seemed I understand the logic. He wants to go to a team where they're going to be a chance to win a championship. But I think he could have gone somewhere else. Mate, like I would have liked to see him go to Milwaukee. I don't know. They maybe they didn't have the cap space. Or whatever to sign him, but I, I thought he would have been played, would have been able to play a really good role for them as that as that scorer off the bench, more so than than you'll see him play at Brooklyn. Yeah, look, I thought maybe the Lakers or the Warriors were probably two other teams that could have certainly used a guy like Paddy Mills. You know, I think we do get caught up this time of the year um, with you know FIBA Paddy Mills that you know turns into a you know, the best player in the world. Um, yeah. you know, I think you know we do need to remember. You know, he, he essentially the last few years, even in San Antonio, on a young young team, is a bench player that comes off the bench and, and gives some off, offensive scoring. So, look, I think the the, the money was probably about right. I think you know, and you know you look at other guys and the money they sign it, and you know you think you could certainly get more. But again, I think that's we we've got the rose coloured glasses on. When we're looking at it from you know the <laughs> the most recent Olympic point of view, when he you know he's such a star, but you know he he had come off a, a really significant I think it was a three or four year deal at, at the Spurs. He made some 
good money and six million a year US isn't anything to sneeze at. But yeah, as you mentioned, the choice of team, you know, playing, you know, on that Brooklyn lineup, you know, that that really is is going to be an interesting watch again. How it all fits together, but you know, he certainly will be behind, you know, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, um, you know, Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, these type of guys. Tyler Johnson's another one that's on that roster. But yeah, I, I think they'll have. You know, obviously, complete faith that Paddy can come in and, and score whenever they need him to, and you know, be a pretty good backup for Kyrie in the event that he, you know, goes missing or doesn't turn up at any stage um, during the season as well. But um, certainly makes them deeper, um, and it's great to be seeing Paddy um, back, you know, likely playing in in meaningful playoff games. It certainly is, and they obviously know that they're expecting to be playing in some big playoff games, and and they've seen Paddy Mills right throughout his career, whether it be for the Spurs or obviously team uh, the, the boomers that he's been able to produce in big games. So that's obviously one of the reasons that they would have pursued Paddy Mills very heavily. The, the one team that uh, we do need to just quickly touch on that, that had a very disappointing um, free agency period, I thought anyway, was the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, for me, that it was just perplexing what that the, they did. They were said to have been in the hunt to get Kyle Lowry or a, an experienced uh, point guard to, to pair with Zion. That that obviously didn't come to fruition, but so then they decided to trade away Lonzo Ball uh, to Chicago and get back Sadoransky, Garrett Temple, who they signed to a three-year, fifteen million dollar deal. Garrett Temple's thirty-four years old, so that that's a that's a perplexing thing to do, uh, in my opinion. Anyway, they also got back a second-round pick. They then got uh, Devontae Graham in a sign and trade with uh, Charlotte. They gave away a twenty twenty-two lottery protected first-round pick. Uh, they signed a four-year, $47 million deal. So they're now looking at a starting five of potentially Devontae Graham, Sadoransky, Ingram, Zion, and Valanchunas. For me, it's just I can't understand why they soured so much on Lonzo Ball. Like He's turned himself into a really good three-point shooter. He's a great passer. He seemed to have a really good connection with Zion. We all loved watching the highlight reels of of Lonzo throwing those full-court passes or half-court passes for alley-oop to Zion. So for me, it's a really strange path that the Pelicans have decided to go down with the moves they've made in the offseason. And and they're starting to get in some very dangerous territory because I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking that uh, Zion Williamson isn't long for the New, or- New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, well, that's going to be the big watch now. And, you know, as you said, I don't think on paper they're a better team than they went into last season being. Um, they have really upended it. And it looks like they're kind of gambling heavily on, you know, recent first round picks, Nicole Alexander Walker and Kyra Lewis. So big opportunities for them to to show their wares and, you know, whether the Pelicans organization, you know, knew something that we all don't know about these guys and how good they're gonna be. But um, you know, that Zion Watch is certainly gonna be on in the next few years as to, you know, his body language and how happy he looks. But yeah, just that starting five now. When you look at it on paper, it's probably going to be Alexander Walker, Devontae Graham, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Jonas. So, yeah, probably not you know as sexy certainly on paper as what they had been going into last year. And um, but you know we'll we'll see what the, see what how it turns out. But I think I think collectively around most of the journo's um, that were writing about the free agent, the, the Pelicans were clearly the the loser of the period. They're going to they're going to be able to score pretty well, but they could have the worst defense in the history of the NBA. That's there's not a stopper or anybody that, that even resembles Ingram has done that in the past, but certainly over his last couple of seasons, he's he's been adverse to defending. So it's going to, it's going to be really interesting to see how this season pans out for the Pelicans and their their general manager David Griffin's got to come under a lot of pressure if they have another ordinary season. He's already fired Stan Van Gundy after one season of hiring him. He's had to salary dump. Stephen Adams, after signing him to a ridiculous extension, now giving up the first-round pick to to get Devontae Graham, who's played about a month and a half of good basketball throughout his career. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the season goes for the Pelicans and what sort of pressure now does start to come onto David Griffin for all these moves that he has made. So we'll call it there, Caddy, and we'll call it there for the season. So we've got to say a, a very big thank you to all the guys, all the people, sorry, that have downloaded this podcast right throughout the season. We know we've got... Uh, quite a few guys, Caddy, that, that download it every week and listen to it every week. So a special thank you to those to those people that have listened to us right throughout the season. Not sure how long we'll, we'll have off, but we'll get back. And if there's any big trades or anything, we might jump on and do a quick hitter. But we're going to have a little bit of a break for, for a while. Caddy, I don't know if you want to say anything. Oh, no, well, uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to, to jump on and, and talk about the hoops all week. It's been, um, yeah, it's clearly an interesting NBA season, um, sort of, 
you know, went into the Olympic Games as well, which was great. You know, all the COVID uncertainty at the start and the um, let's hope for the NBA sake they can get a clear, cleaner and clear run at it next year. And, um, yeah, no, I've enjoyed jumping on and, and chatting to you, yeah, most Sunday nights where we've been able to get together and, and break down what's been happening. And, yeah, and to the people that, that have listened to it, thank you very much and hope you, you know, enjoyed it and got something out of it. And uh, next year, Caddy, we might get some guests on from time to time and sort of mix it up a little bit. I'm sure I'm sure everybody loves the insight that we bring, but it will also be good to get uh, somebody else's perspective. But as I say every week, uh, thank you to, for everyone who does download the podcast. Please jump on Apple Podcasts if you haven't as yet. Give us that five-star rating. Also, jump on Facebook and like the Facebook page. And as I say, obviously, this is our last episode for a little bit, but please share this podcast with any NBA friends uh, that you do have. And until next season, we'll speak to you then.